Happy Tuesday afternoon. I have had an extremely busy morning. And I didn't, my life didn't used to be so busy. Now all of a sudden it just is. But um, I'm cleaning out, I'm gutting out the RV that was on this property from, oh, for the last at least 10 years. And um, it was disgusting because the mice got in there. So I tore out everything, all the furniture, all the carpet, all the linoleum down to just bare wood. And I got a really good deal on tile, like ceramic tile. I mean, the thing's not going anywhere. The RV isn't going anywhere. The tires are shot. It's a good thing it's up on blocks or, or jacked, you know, like uh, leveled and whatever. Um, and I'm going to turn it into like a crafting kind of area. But I went in there with, with spray foam insulation and there is nothing getting in there. And now all I have left to do is to scrub it out with bleach and sanitize it. And then I can set up in there. I want to paint. I have tile laid down. It's not grouted or anything. I'm just trying to get the pattern set. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to get a, a very good cleaning. So, that's what I was doing all day. And it's, it was just a, a big job. I really, well, I, I've been working on it for months, but finally got everything completely torn out today. So, all right, well, we're reading James Hudson Taylor, Pioneer Missionary of Inland China. And we left off at chapter three. So let's, let's pick it up from there. A turning in the pathway. The conversion of our 17-year-old Barnsley lad lifted him completely out of that frame of mind and worldly element which had dominated him for nearly six years. But it did not place him on unfamiliar territory had not the influence of childhood days of godly home and of praying parents and sister been hovering over him all these years of waywardness? Now that peace in his own heart was restored and the former happiness of the home had returned. Hudson Taylor was so glad and so thankful that he could not but seek God for some special line of work as an outlet for his love and gratitude. Well do I remember, he wrote, long years afterward, as an unreserved consecration, I put myself, my life, my friends, my all upon the altar. The deep solemnity that came over my soul with the assurance that my offering was accepted. The presence of God became unutterably real and blessed. For what service I was accepted, I knew not, but a deep consciousness that I was not my own took possession of me which has never since been effaced. I felt I was in the presence of God, entering into covenant with the Almighty. I felt as though I wished to withdraw my promise, but could not. Something seemed to say, your prayer is answered, your conditions are accepted. From that time, the conviction never left me that I was called to China. 
As if a clear voice had spoken audibly, he heard the words, Then go for me to China. A new epoch began in the life of this young man. The past, yes, when only a wee laddie of four years, was it not to China, he said, he was going when he became a man? The present, surely China, was the meaning of his life now. The future, ah, away beyond himself, outside the little world of his own heart experience, lay the great waiting world for those for whom no man cared, for whom Christ died. His prayer was answered, his conditions were accepted. With the coming in of the year 1850, Hudson was still employed in his father's drugstore with good prospects before him. But another work, of which he now knew almost nothing, claimed his attention. How to prepare for it and reach it, he had no idea, though the call to China was clear. Simply a young boy in a small town, what could he do for China? That great empire of the East, so mighty in area and population, wrapped in mysteries, mystery, for centuries, proud of her exclusiveness, forbidding strangers to peep behind the curtain of her seclusion, yet so painfully in need of the gospel. How could the insignificant Barnsley boy presume to become an ambassador of the King of Kings to such a remote corner of the earth? Then go for me to China, was the divine command, definite and final. So he began to pray long and earnestly for guidance. To Mr. Whitworth, superintendent of the Sunday school, he went and received encouraging counsel. And being in connection with the British and Foreign Bible Society, this old friend presented the boy with a copy of St. Luke's Gospel in the Mandarin dialect. Hudson learned that the Congregational Minister in Barnsley possessed a copy of Medhurst's work on China, so ventured to call upon him, asking for a loan of the book. Why do you wish to read that book? inquired the minister. God has called me to missionary work in that land, said husband. Hud Hudson, how do you propose to go there? asked the older man. I do not know at all. I may need to do as the twelve and the seventy did in Judea, relying on him who sends me to supply all my needs, was Hudson's earnest reply. Ah, my boy, said the minister, placing his hand upon the boy's shoulder. As you grow older, you will become wiser than that. Such an idea would do very well in the days when Christ was on earth, but not now. Heeding his parents' advice, he endeavored to develop resources of body, mind, and soul. He began taking more open-air exercise for physical strength. He disposed of his feather bed and as many other comforts as possible to prepare for a rougher sort of life. He continued the distribution of tracts, taught a Sunday school class, visited the poor and the sick, and engaged in any other Christian work that opportunity afforded. He was convinced that he must be a soul winner at home before he could become one abroad. As another form of preparation, Hudson studied the meaning of the Christian characters in his little gospel portion, which his own friend had given him. He had heard that Mr. Milne, a co-worker co -worker with Robert Morrison in 1813 in China, had said that the task of learning the Chinese language required bodies of iron, lungs of brass, heads of oak, hands of spring steel, eyes of eagles, hearts of apostles, 
Memories of Angels, and Lives of Methuselah. But this did not daunt the zeal of young Taylor, who, after a few weeks, had learned the meaning of several hundred Chinese char characters, though he could not pronounce them. About this time, Dr. Gutzloff returned from Hong Kong to London and did much to educate the people as to the possibilities of missionary work in China. A new magazine called The Gleaner was started in London, giving latest news of Dr. Gutzloff's workers, as well as missionary information from other parts of the world. This interested the Barnsley lad immensely and he ventured to write to Mr. Pierce, secretary of the Chinese Evangelization Society, asking for circulars, cards, etc., that would help him introduce the subject of missions to his friends, with the hope of collecting a few pounds for missionary work. It was now more than a year since Hudson's call had come, and he felt it was time for more definite preparation for his life's work. Five years' experience in his father's shop made him skillful in the dispensing, dispensing of medicines and even in prescribing for ordinary ailments. Keen on earning his own living, he thought that as an assistant to a doctor with a good practice, he might provide for himself and at the same time make progress with his medical studies. After much prayer for guidance, an opening occurred in Hull for an assistant to one of the busiest doctors in town. The new apprentice, apprentice took up work on his 19th birthday with Dr. Hardy, who was much esteemed in Hull as a good medical man and as a consistent Christian. But his luxurious home, of which Hudson was now an inmate, was too comfortable and easygoing to produce missionary training. The life needed by Hudson Taylor at this time and to which he was being unconsciously led was one which might be compared to that of Moses in the wilderness, Joseph in Pharaoh's prison, Paul in the silence of the Arabian desert. In another part of Hull was a little prophet's chamber, which had few furnishings and but little of companionship and luxury, but there a sterner life could be lived apart with God. It would have been a most abrupt change, however, from the doctor's home of luxury to that plain little room which was afterwards to house him during his sojourn in Hull. To bridge over the change when his room in the doctor's home was needed for a member of the family, he was kindly welcomed into the home of his aunt. With her, he was very happy so far as outward circumstances were concerned. But he was hungry for the word of God, and during his stay in Hull, he came across a company of Christians whose fellowship was just what he needed at that time. Little as he may have realized then, he was facing a very trying future on the mission field, and the new friends he had found were, above any others he had ever seen, examples of faith in both temporal and spiritual things. This brought to his notice the work of George Muller of Bristol, who at that early date had hundreds of orphans under his care and was looking to the Lord for means to support a thousand. In, order, in addition to orphanage work, this man of faith did much for the support of many missionaries and circulated the scriptures far and near in heathen and Roman Catholic lands. Hudson came into personal touch with penniless Muller, whose accomplishments through mighty faith in God alone and without appeals for help or guarantee of stated income 
were a wonderful testimony to the power of effectual fervent prayer. Nothing could have encouraged young Taylor more than this in the pathway upon which he was about to enter. About this time, Hudson took advantage of an opportunity to spend a few days in London. On this trip, he hoped to get encouragement from Mr. Lobsheed, a German missionary who had returned from China. The same trip would also give him a chance to meet Mr. Pierce, the secretary with whom he had previously corresponded. But Secretary Pierce, when Hudson called on him, was so busy in the stock exchange that he could not give much attention to Hudson during office hours, though he could not help being interested in his Barnsley correspondent, whose bright earnest face bore testimony to the spirit within. Mr. Pierce arranged to take him to Tottenham and the Brook Street meeting on Sunday, where Hudson met many people whose names he had become familiar with in the Gleaner. Mr. Lobsheed was present at that meeting too, overflowing with information about his field, and Hudson had plenty of questions to ask. Evidently, the old missionary's impression of Hudson was not very favorable, for, observing the fair hair and gray-blue eyes of the young man, he explained why you would never do for China. They called me red-haired devil and would run from you in terror. He could never get them, you could never get them to listen at all. And yet, came the quiet reply, it is God who has called me and he knows all about the color of my hair and eyes. End of chapter three. Chapter four, winter at Drainside. A sitting room and bedroom in one where I can board myself and tithe my whole income is what I must plan for, thought James Hudson Taylor one early morning hour. I do want more time alone to study the word of God and to visit the poor and do evangelistic work on Sundays. Here I am sharing auntie's comfortable home with plenty of good food and pleasant company, but that is not preparing me for missionary work in China, ran his line of thought in the same channel. Dr. Hardy is paying me well as his assistant, and I must save as much as I can and train myself the best I can for the foreign field. That visit to London with the Tottenham people has given me fresh courage and zeal. Thus his meditation continued day after day until November, when his plans became a reality. Over in an uninviting neighborhood in Hull stood a double row of workmen's cottages facing each other. Between the two rows of cottages was a deep ditch into which the people were in the habit of throwing rubbish to be carried away by the tide whenever it rose high enough. This district was separated from the town by vacant lots, which were crossed by a few poorly lighted roads that ended with rickety wooden bridges across the drain. The cottages were all the same size and shape, each having a door and two windows, one window above the other. In the end cottage, the door opened to the kitchen, and the steep stairway led to the room above. Mrs. Finch and her children lived in the kitchen and the room above, while the downstairs room, less than 12 feet square, added to her meager income by the three shillings a week that Hudson Taylor paid her for the rent of it. Mr. Finch, being a seafaring man, his visits home were few, and his supplying of funds to the family was irregular. Truly, indeed, the prospective missionary was now situated so he could accustom himself to endure hardness 
in keeping with his conviction of this being a necessary preparation for future work. His walks to and from the surgery were lonely, across the waste, unlighted outskirts of the town. His evenings at home were cheerless except for the little flame of his own hearth. Sundays were spent alone except for the morning meeting and the hours spent among the crowds in his district, visiting the sick and giving comfort and help to the needy poor. Boarding himself meant that eventually oatmeal, rice, and brown bread formed the greater part of his diet, and he was surprised at how little he could live upon. But his finding so much more of his salary left with which to help others made the sacrifice sweet and kept him in closer touch with the Lord. And the need of a closer touch from the divine hand he felt most keenly about this time, when his tenderest human affections awoke with bitter disappointment after a long, lovely dream. The charming young music teacher, finding nothing could turn her friend from his missionary purpose, finally made known to him that she was not prepared to go to China. His grief was almost unbearable. His faith in the faithfulness and love of God was greatly tested. Satan whispered thus, Is it all worthwhile? Why toil and suffer all your life for an ideal of duty? Give it up now while you can yet win her. Earn a proper living like everybody else and serve the Lord at home, for you can win her yet. For days he was most miserable and had no relish for prayer. The burden was growing heavier. It was a perilous moment when his faith wavered. Like a flood, the enemy rushed upon him. But enough, the Spirit of the Lord lifted up a standard against that enemy. Hudson felt much humbled and melted. But in drawing nigh to God, his broken heart was touched by the great physician, whose healing balm began to soothe the wound. Though God does not deprive me of feeling in my trial, he wrote to his sister, Yet he enables me to sing, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Keener desires than ever were firing young Taylor's heart to make speedy preparation for his future work as a missionary. When I go out to China, he thought to himself, I shall have no claim on anyone for anything. My only claim will be on God. How important to learn before leaving England to move man through God by prayer alone. He knew that the one power that could remove mountain, mountains, conquer every difficulty, and accomplish the impossible was faith. But had he that faith? Would the faith he possessed carry him through all that must be faced in China? Could he stand alone in that great heathen land? Had he stood alone in the homeland? Pondering these thoughts, he remembered that faith is a gift of God which is capable of great growth. He knew he possessed at least a small measure of such a gift, and that to be conscious of a growth in faith, he must necessarily exercise the faith which he already had. Exercise could not be brought about except by trial. Did he shrink from the only pathway that would lead him to a possession before leaving England of that precious faith? which would move man through God by prayer alone? Ah, no, there was no hindrance in himself for the answer to his prayers. With this object in view, Hudson Taylor set out to learn and practice new lessons. Experiences followed, which have since encouraged thousands of people the world, wide world over.
The busy Dr. Hardy of Hull, Hudson's kind employer, often stated that he would need to be reminded when the young assistant's salary was due, but Hudson determined to remind him only by asking God to bring the fact to his remembrance. As the day drew near for a quarter's payment, I was, as usual, in much prayer about it. The day arrived, but Dr. Hardy made no allusion to the matter. I continued praying. Days passed on, and he did not remember until at length on settling up my weekly accounts on Saturday night. I found myself possessed of only one remaining coin, a half-crown piece. Still I had hitherto known no lack, so I kept on praying. At the end of the last service, which he conducted among the poor people the next Sunday night, a man came stating that his wife was dying and asked that Hudson come and pray for her. Readily he started, but the man's accent indicating that he was Irish, Hudson asked why he did not call the priest. I did, but he wouldn't come without a payment of 18 pence, which I do not own. Besides, my family is starving, was the disheartened man's reply. The next line of thought that flashed through Hudson mind, Hudson's mind was that he had, he had only a half crown, but all in one coin, that his basin of water gruel was at home for his supper, and that there was something in the house for breakfast, but certainly nothing at all for dinner the next day. With this thought, the stream of joy in his heart staggered a bit, and Judson, Hudson began to reprove the man for allowing himself to get into such circumstances, telling him that he should have applied to the city for aid. He replied that he had done so, but the relieving officer could not come before 11 a.m., and he feared his wife would die before morning. Ah, thought Hudson, if only I had two shillings and sixpence instead of this half crown, how gladly would I give those poor people a shilling. On down through a dark court, the young man followed the older one, and as he came to recognize the place, he grew a little nervous. For the last time he had passed that way, someone handled him roughly. The tracks he carried had been torn to pieces, and he had been sternly warned never to return. But this was now the path of duty. Up a miserable flight of stairs into a wretched room he led me, and oh, what a sight there presented itself. Four or five children stood about, their sunken cheeks and temples, all telling unmistakably the story of slow starvation. And lying on a wretched pallet was a poor, exhausted mother, with a tiny infant, 36 years old, moaning rather than crying at her side, for it too seemed spent and failing. Ah, if I had two shillings and sixpence instead of this half-crown, how gladly should they have one and sixpence of it, he thought. Still a lack of faith prevented Hudson from obeying his strong impulse to relieve their distress at the cost of all he possessed. Certainly in this state of mind he could say little to comfort these poor people. But he tried to tell them not to be cast down, that there was a kind, loving Father in heaven who would take care of them, etc., but just then, his words were choked by his own conscience, uttering, You hypocrite, telling these unconverted people about a kind heavenly father and not prepared to trust him without a half crown. In these circumstances, it was impossible for him to talk, but thinking he could pray, he ventured to remark, You asked me to come and pray with your wife, so let us pray, and with that knelt down. But no sooner had he uttered the words, Our Father, 
who art in heaven. Then conscience again checked him with his indictment. Dare you mock God? Dare you kneel down and call him father with that half crown in your pocket? A time of conflict came upon him such as he had never known before. And how he had got through his prayer, whether it was connected or disconnected, he knew not. The poor man said to him, You see what a terrible state we are in, sir. If you can help us, for God's sake, do. At that instant there flashed into Hudson's mind the command, Give to him that asks of, he, of thee. Slowly his hand withdrew from that pocket in which his half-crown had been carefully guarded, and it seemed to find its way automatically to the hand of the poor man. At the same time these words came from his lips, You may think from my appearance that I am comparatively well off, but in parting with this coin I give you all I have. Now how surprising came the words. God really is a father and can be trusted. The poor woman's life was saved, and Hudson Taylor said his spiritual life had been saved from wreckage upon the rock of disobedience and unbelief. Back to his lodging he returned that night, with heart and pocket both light. Even the dark, deserted streets through which he had to pass seemed to echo with a hymn of praise which he could not restrain. A restful night's sleep was followed by an unexpected call early Monday morning of the postman who brought an unexpected, unexpected letter, the address of which was in a handwriting unrecognizable. On opening the envelope, he found nothing on the blank sheet of paper to indicate who the sender was. But to his great astonishment, there was a pair of new kid gloves from which fell to the floor a half-sovereign coin. Praise the Lord, I exclaimed. Four hundred percent for twelve hours investment. That is good interest. How glad the merchants of Hull would be if they could lend their money at such a rate. Dr. Hardy had not remembered yet to pay the salary and how easy it would have been to remind him. But in so doing, what about his own lesson, upon the learning of which he felt his future usefulness depended, to move man through God by prayer alone? In less than a fortnight, Hudson found himself penniless again, and on Saturday night rent would be due his Christian landlady, who could ill afford to wait payment. Should he, for her sake, speak to the doctor about salary? If so, he should have to admit to himself that he was unfit to undertake missionary work in China. Nearly all of Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, when not busy in the surgery, he was earnestly praying. About five o'clock Saturday afternoon, when Dr. Hardy had made his last visit for the day, he had finished writing up prescriptions, he threw himself back in his armchair and began speaking on spiritual things. In the adjoining room, Hudson had to give very careful attention to the work which engaged him at that hour. Suddenly the doctor exclaimed, By the by, Taylor, is not your salary due? Hudson calmly answered, It is overdue for some little time. Oh, I am sorry, you didn't remind me. You know how busy I am. Wish I had thought a little sooner, for only this afternoon I sent all the money I had to the bank. Otherwise I would pay you at once. Fortunately for him, the job he was doing really required at that moment that he hasten outside. When the doctor went to his house, Hudson finished the work he was doing, then sought a quiet place for prayer, and ere long his troubled heart was peaceful again. 
As usual, Saturday evening was spent at the surgery, preparing his subject, upon which he expected to speak the next day, among the poor people. At ten o'clock he put on his coat to go home, knowing his landlady would have retired already, but he hoped something would turn up by Monday so he could pay his rent. Just as he was turning out the lights, familiar footsteps, footsteps were heard, then a sound of laughter which meant the doctor was amused about something. As he entered the door, Dr. Hardy said, such a funny thing has happened. One of my wealthiest patients has just came at this late hour to pay his doctor bill. Look up the ledger, Taylor, and see how much it is. Strange, isn't it, that he should come this hour of the night when he could write a check any day? When the account was duly credited in the ledger and the doctor was about to leave, then suddenly he returned and said, By the way, Taylor, you might as well take these banknotes, and I will give you the balance of the change next week. It was well for Hudson Taylor that he was alone the next moment, for his joy and his gratitude were almost beyond his control. Not so much because of the salary in hand, but because of another clear evidence that through prayer, God does move men. And probably after all, thought he, I might go to China. All right, end of chapter four. Well, that is certainly not how us Christians live today, is it? <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. Some of us are very trusting of um, provision from the Lord, very trusting. But who would not go into their employer and say, you forgot to pay me this week, especially if your rent is due? I mean, seriously, I think like 99.9% .9%. well I don't know I mean I would probably go in there and say didn't you forget to write out checks or anything but it's a true testimony of faith um, he could be living in luxurious means with all kinds of food he has chosen to live like this so that he can be ready to go to China as a missionary. And I think it's, I, I just, I can't hardly believe it. <laughs> it's just really, people don't exercise their faith like that much anymore, you know. But anyway, so that's the end of today's reading. And tomorrow we will pick up where we left off with chapter 5. And I pray you all have a blessed day.